0: Uh, Revelation 5, that might not seem very Easter-y to you, no bunnies in Revelation, there, there, there is a dragon, we're not going to talk about him today, but uh, Revelation is actually a great Easter book, the things that begin, what Jesus begins on Easter, he finishes in Revelation, so Easter is this initial blow, the defeat of the enemies of God, sin, Satan, and death primarily, Those three enemies of God are defeated by Jesus' resurrection. And then in Revelation, we look forward to their destruction. So we live in between the defeat and the destruction of God's enemies, and that creates some tension for us. The enemies have been defeated but not destroyed. And Revelation is it's assurance for us it's going to happen at an unknown time in the future, but at a fixed time in the future. So you can see uh, the resurrection Easter Sunday and Revelation as bookends of the story, and we're living in between the covers uh, of that book. So we're going to read from chapter 5 of Revelation and see what it says to us this morning. It's a short chapter. We'll read the whole thing. Then I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll. But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who is worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, don't weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne, and when the Lamb had taken it, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You've made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousand times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen. Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. So uh, set that up. Revelation is um, it's a vision. It's a, it's the recording of a vision. A vision's like a dream when you're awake. Given to John, one of Jesus' original twelve disciples. He's in exile on an island called Patmos. This happens most likely in the mid '90s. So about sixty years or so after Jesus' crucifixion. John's an old man um, at this point. It's, it's on the Lord's Day. Some people actually think it was on an Easter Sunday that John had this had this vision, and it's a vision of how God is going to um, punish his enemies, punish the wicked, redeem the righteous, and then renew creation. It is highly, highly symbolic, incredibly easy to get lost in the weeds for sure, and we're going to focus on chapter 5, really just on those main characters. So in chapter 5, John sees the throne room of heaven, and there. On the throne is the Father. And in the Father's hand, he has a scroll, and that scroll has seven wax seals on it. And you'll see that up there on the screen. So a scroll is a legal document, and you would seal it with wax in order to um, vouch for the integrity. So if I write a scroll and I send it to Tim, the way Tim is going to know that it hasn't been altered is those seals will still be intact when he gets it. So it's soft wax that you would seal, put over the, the the flap of the scroll, and I put like my signet ring or something on it. That way Tim would know, one, it's from me, and if the seals had not been broken, that had not been tampered with, and so he could trust the contents. In the book of Revelation, the number seven almost always means complete, and so you have this idea that this, this, this scroll is completely sealed. It can't be broken. It's not going to be open unless there's someone who's found worthy to do that. And so this angel says, who's worthy to open the scroll? And nobody in all of creation raises their hand. There's nobody in all of creation who can open the scroll. And John doesn't even know what's in the scroll. You can't take a peek. It's sealed up. But he weeps and he weeps. He has a deep emotional response to the fact that the scroll cannot be opened. I don't even think he knows what's in it. He just recognizes this is significant. This is not good. there's no one in creation who can open this scroll and it's in the Father's hand. Who, who's going to do this? And then one of the elders, the elders, there's 24 of them. They represent the church with the capital C. And one of them pulls John aside and says, don't, don't worry. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. He, he can do it. That guy can open the scroll. And so John starts looking for a lion. And what does he see? A lamb. And not just any lamb, a lamb that looks like he's been slaughtered. That's what that word slain means. Slaughtered as for a sacrifice. And he has seven horns. Horns represent power, so he's all powerful, seven being complete. Seven eyes, which represent the, the seven spirits of God. Or your Bible may say the sevenfold spirit of God. That's the Holy Spirit. So we have this lamb who's been killed, but who is all powerful and who sends the Holy Spirit into the world. So he's divine as well. And he can take the scroll from the Father. You imagine that. He can take the scroll from the Father. And when he does, the response is worship. Everybody. The elders worship. And then we see angels who are surrounding the elders worship. And then we see all of creation worship. That's the response of everyone. Just ripples out from the center of the universe. The throne room. Elders and then angels and then all of creation worships. Because one who is found worthy. This lamb. And why is this lamb worthy to open the scroll? Because he was slain. And with his blood he purchased men and women From every language and from every tribe and from every people and from every nation. That's what qualifies him to open the scroll. He can open the scroll because he was slain and he purchased people for God from every nation on the earth. That's what's going on in chapter 5. If you read through Revelation, the rest of the book is what happens when those seals are open. Beginning in chapter 6, Jesus, he's the lamb. He begins to open the seals and there's a, a... a horseman associated with each of the first four seals. And then there's martyrdom associated with the fifth seal. And then the sixth seal, it's called the Day of the Lord. It's the time in history when Jesus will return. It's not a literal 24-hour day, but it's the period in history when Jesus returns. And then he opens the seventh seal, and there's silence in heaven for half an hour. And there's, worship is constant in heaven. Every picture we have of heaven, there's constantly worship. And so you think they're quiet for 30 minutes, like what's going on? If they're in the presence of God and they quit worshiping, what is happening? Silence in heaven for half an hour when you're in the presence of God and the, the, the response is always worship. It's almost you can't help but worship when you're in his presence and, and these elders and these angels and they all stop for 30 minutes. There's silence. And then the rest of the book of Revelation, it's, you have these bowls and they're terrible and these trumpets and they're terrible and there's a dragon and a beast and they're terrible In the very end, we have God. Jesus comes back. Revelation 19. Last week, we saw Jesus riding in Jerusalem as a king on a donkey. And then in Revelation 19, he comes back as a king on a horse. And he cuts down all the enemies of God. And he redeems all of the righteous. And they renew. He and the Father renew all of creation. Beautiful story. Why is that scroll so important? If you can't open the scroll, if no one can break the seals... History stops. Evil's never dealt with. The righteous are never vindicated. Creation is never renewed. That's why John is but he doesn't even know why he's broken, but he's broken because there's some sense of if there's no one found who's worthy to open the scroll, then then we're stuck. Evil looks like it wins. The righteous look like they get trounced. The earth is never made new. And so that's why it's such a big deal that the Lamb can open the the scroll because then history can move on to its determined end. It can move on to the desired end of the Father. As you read through Revelation, it can seem a bit scary. And the reason it seems scary is what you're witnessing when you read Revelation. It's called the wrath of God. God's wrath is his righteous anger towards sin. We focus very heavily and, and rightfully so on the love of God. The other side of God's love is his wrath. The opposite of love is not necessarily hate, but you see this wrath, this righteous anger towards sin, towards wickedness, towards evil, towards everything that mars his creation and that wreaks havoc in the lives of his children. It ticks him off. And in Revelation, you see him giving full vent to his wrath, and it does cause us to step back because we don't necessarily see sin the way he sees it. There, there may be some things that we would say really stir us to indignation. But usually it's fleeting. And we can't maintain that, and, and, and we probably not, shouldn't necessarily even try. But God in his holiness, when he sees evil and wickedness ruin the world that he's made, and even more, ruin the people who he's made in his image, it stirs this in hell. And in Revelation, you see um, stepping in to right all of those wrongs. Some of you live in this tension as you look at your own life or you look at our city or you look at the world. And you're saying, where is a good God? Where is a righteous God? Where is a just God? Where is this powerful God? I don't see him winning. Read Revelation. It's your book. He wins. He's delaying now. And, and, and Second Peter says, don't, don't confuse His patience with slowness. That's not what he's doing. He hasn't forgotten anything. He's not indifferent. He's created space so that any who want to can repent, can say yes to him. And it's only in the wisdom of God. Would you want to be the one who says, yeah, now's the time to open that seventh seal so the wrath of God can be poured out on the earth? Who wants that responsibility? To know the exact moment when everyone who would say yes has said yes. and, And then you step in. And when Jesus steps in, in Revelation 19, there's no more opportunities to say yes to him. And so God is waiting. And his wrath, in some senses, is being stored up. And who is worthy to release that but the lamb? Why is he worthy? Because he's experienced it. I don't know if they still do this. Police officers used to have to be tased before they could use a taser like if it, you need to know what this feels like before so you'll be judicious in how you use it on other people the lamb jesus he bore the wrath of god that was rightfully due me and you when we say jesus is the lamb of god who takes away the sins of the world we say jesus paid our debt say jesus died in our place all of those things are true and what they're saying is there's god is righteously angry toward righteously angry towards sin and someone has to bear that wrath. Someone has to experience that because that sin wreaks havoc on his world and on his people. And he's a just and holy God. And what Jesus says is, I'm going to take it. That's what he bears on the cross for us. He experiences the wrath of God that is rightfully due me or due you. When we say, when we say we're saved, that, that's what we're saved from. We're saved from the wrath of God. We're delivered from God's righteous anger that we right, that we rightfully deserve. And so the Lamb alone is worthy because the Lamb alone knows. He's experienced the wrath of God. He's been tased. And so he knows when that exact moment will be and he knows what he's releasing on the earth. And he's not just worthy because he's experienced the wrath of God. He's worthy because he's made a way for everyone else to avoid that. Again, he's saved us from that. He's made possibility and an opportunity for us to be saved from that, He's redeemed people from every nation and every language and every tribe and every tongue. Throughout history and across the world, God has made a way for people to avoid that punishment by putting their faith and their trust in Jesus, this lamb who was slain in their place. He's worthy not just because he's the lamb, but because he's the lion, and he's the one who comes back in Revelation 19 and executes the judgment of God. The sword's in his mouth. He's the one who will ultimately cut down the enemies of God. And so for all those reasons, Jesus and he alone is worthy to open that scroll. And we're thankful. You may not feel it. You are thankful that he does. Or we're stuck. History has no point. Paul says, I think it's in 1 Corinthians, If there is no resurrection, if Jesus has not been raised from the dead, then let's just eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. It's the truth. There's no point to life if Jesus hasn't been raised from the dead. Because he has been raised from the dead, we can say history ends well. It ends in the desired place of the Father, the righteous being vindicated, and the righteous are all those who trust in Jesus, not those who do well. The wicked are punished, and the wicked are all those who choose to reject him, who persistently resist God's grace poured out on them, and all of creation is renewed. That's why Revelation 5 An Easter passage. There are men and women in this room today, and you're standing, sitting under the wrath of God. And you don't have to. There's no reason for you to take a punishment that someone else has already borne in your place. Doesn't matter how long you've gone to church, I don't care how often you do good deeds and help ladies cross the street and recycle and you don't cheat on your taxes. None of that matters. None of that matters. I don't care how much of the Bible you know. I don't care about your devotional time. What matters is, are you putting your faith and your trust in Jesus on April 16, 2017? If the answer is no, you're sitting under the wrath of God. Read Revelation 6 through 19. Read those this week. You don't want that. And that's not even hell. That's just what... That's God cleansing the earth. Hell's worse. You don't want that. And there's no reason for you to experience that this morning. There's a lamb who died in your place. This one who was slain so that you don't have to be. The Gospels, they do a great job painting a picture of Jesus. And they give great examples and great uh, Indicators of who he was in terms of his character and how he acted, and he's the best person who's ever lived. And it's, and we read that, and, and we can kind of get overwhelmed. We're we're golden corral kind of people. We want the buffet. I want to take this and leave that behind, and we tend to create Jesus in our own image instead of allowing him to conform us into his image. And again, it, it's 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 easy to do that because Jesus is so wonderful, and he is so multi faceted and there's something in each of our hearts that's drawn to some aspect of him almost naturally. Ecclesiastes three says God's put eternity in our hearts. And there's that part of us that naturally connects to something good and right in him. But it's easy to kind of caricature Jesus and to, to move him into a direction where again we're not we're not challenged by who he is. We just can kind of rest and say, oh yeah, he agrees with me. Here in the in Cobb County we can have Republican Jesus pretty easy. And he's all about small government and low taxes and personal responsibility, which totally is a biblical concept, personal responsibility and accountability. Also, and this maybe seems to be on the rise a little bit, Democrat Jesus. We have him also. He says, you know, whatever you do to the least of these, you do to me. And he just loves everybody and um, wants to redistribute wealth to make sure everybody is well taken care of. We've also got, who's next? Oh, Yeah, we have hippie Jesus on the left. He's the Prince of Peace, and we all know marijuana helps promote that. (laughs) Sunday school Jesus on the right. He's tame and mild-mannered, and he he loves lambs. (laughs) Hipster Jesus, he's a little newer. He turned water into wine, so he brews his own beer. He's not religious. CEO Jesus, will you go back, please? CEO Jesus there on the right. He had 12 vice presidents. He changed the world with this marketing strategy. Then we have boyfriend Jesus. You see him there. Guy in the top is cut a little bit. Those dreamy eyes looking at you. He's your bridegroom. You're the bride. And you just want to love on him and be loved on him all day long. What's next? Oh, this is interesting. So so some British uh what do you call them forensic anthropologists work with some Israeli archaeologists and they say this is probably what Jesus looks like based on skulls. Have y'all ever seen bones that TV show? So that's basically what they did. They they did that and said this is who no nobody's got that picture hanging up in their church of who uh <laughs> what Jesus may look like. We don't care what he physically looked like. We just care about his heart. And again there's a there's something in him That 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 calls out to something in you. And there's something in you that connects very easily to something in him. That's the eternity piece in your heart. Some of you are drawn to his compassion. Some of you are drawn to his power. Some of you are drawn to his wisdom. Some of you are drawn to his holiness. There's something in him that calls out to something in you and you connect to that. And it can be difficult at times to kind of keep a full picture of who he is because he's the best person who ever lived. And so uh, this Revelation 5, and we'll close with this idea. He's a lion and a lamb, and that's not everything, but that helps hold a lot, of, a lot together in terms of who he is. I, I mentioned earlier there's some of you this morning, and you need, a, you need a Savior. This idea of Jesus being the lamb, it goes all the way back to Exodus chapter 12. There's a Passover lamb, and if you want to see an Old Testament parallel of the book of Revelation, read Exodus, to the early chapters. When God delivers his people, the Israelites, from Egyptian bondage. And he, he uses ten plagues. And those plagues sound a whole lot like what you read in Revelation. And you'll see how he seals his people. He preserves them through. In, in plague number five, we read that God made a distinction between the Israelites and the Egyptians. And in Revelation 7, we hear a voice from heaven say, Seal... Those who are with God, and they seal 144,000, which is a symbolic, perfect number. All of God's people are sealed. I don't believe we get raptured up to heaven before the tribulation. That's a uniquely American idea, that we're not going to have to suffer. Everybody else has to suffer all over the world, but not us. We're going to get taken up to heaven before anything bad happens. We're, we're, We're sealed through these difficulties. All of that's a tangent. But you can go back and read Exodus and and see. And at the end, in Exodus 12, right before the 10th plague, which is devastating, when the firstborn children, firstborn sons of everyone in Egypt are killed, what God says to the people through Moses is, take a lamb and kill it and put the blood on your doorpost. And then when the angel of death comes through the nation, he'll pass over every house that has blood of a lamb on the doorpost. That lamb has been sacrificed in the place of, Your firstborn son. It sounds a whole lot like the cross. And that's Jesus is that lamb for us. Jesus is a lion. It goes back to Genesis where uh, it was prophesied that um, the Messiah would come through the, the, the clan the tribe, I guess, the tribe of Judah, the fourth son of Jacob. And then in Isaiah 11, we read that the Messiah would come from the family of David. If you read the genealogy of Jesus in Luke and in Matthew, there's very few similarities. But one place there's 100% agreement is from Abraham to David. Both of them want to, their audiences to know this guy, he checks the boxes. He's from the family of David, and he's from the tribe of Judah, prophesied Thousands of years before Jesus was born, this is the this is the family. Here's the family tree of the Messiah. So this morning, what do you need? You need a lion. You need a lamb. You need a king who delivers you, who has a sword in his hand, who defeats the enemies of God. Do you need a lamb who is sacrificed in your place? It's interesting when the elder says. Someone is worthy. He says it's a lion. It's it's the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's the, the, the elders only reside in heaven. They don't need a savior. They need a king. Someone to make things right. And when John looks at this lion, he sees a lamb from Earth's perspective. We need a savior first. We need a king. But first, we need a savior, or else we don't get it. We're not included in the kingdom. We're enemies of the king until we've been reconciled by the blood of the lamb. What do you need this morning? From Jesus, this risen one, this savior king. Last week, Palm Sunday, we said Jesus' first act as king was to die for his enemies in order to make it possible for them to be reconciled to him and to his father. That's the kind of king that you serve. One who's willing to die on your behalf. Is your body wrecked this morning? Do you need a king who can defeat sickness? your relationships in shambles? Do you need a king who can defeat sin in terms of personal relationships, who can reconcile and restore you to other people? Is your future a mess? Do you need a king who can point the way, who can lead you into the plans and purposes that the Father has for you? Are you sitting here this morning going, I'm not sure. I may be, I may be sitting under the wrath of God. If you're curious, then you probably are. That's not something you want to wonder about. You can settle that this morning. Confess, God, I'm a rebel. I was an enemy of yours. I've lived independent of you. And I recognize that you want to die for me, to bear the wrath that I deserve so that I could be reconciled to you. And I receive that grace into my life. Forgive me. Fill me with your spirit. That's all it takes. You don't have to weep and wail. Make a decision this morning to let Jesus bear the penalty that you deserve. He's already done it. All you're doing is cashing the check that he's already written. Maybe you've already made that decision. Many of you have. Is there a place where you need a lion in your life? Would you ask him this morning to be that for you? Let's pray. First, I want to pray if there's anyone here and you're unsure of your salvation or you're, you would say, I'm not at this point. I'm not a Christian. I haven't made a decision to follow Jesus. You may be feeling something in your heart or you're you probably maybe you're feeling it physically in your stomach. That's conviction. It's the Holy Spirit. The, the, the Holy Spirit goes before and he works in us even before we're Christians, trying to draw us, open our eyes and draw us. Um, to a knowledge of jesus he convicts us of our sin and that's probably that that's what you're feeling now And so that the the question is what are you going to do with that feeling? Do you resist that feeling and I promise you it will it will go away as soon as you walk out the door You won't feel it anymore You'll go on with your day and you'll eat brunch or do whatever and and you won't Or do you want to yield to that this morning? And that would be my encouragement That's god trying to draw you to himself When you think about Jesus, what is there in Him that attracts you? What draws you to Him? He's more than that, but He is that. If you need a Savior this morning, in your own words, there's no magic formula. God's not looking for you to cross every T and dot every I. He's looking for faith. You can just pray in your own heart, in your own words. God, I repent of my sin and my sinfulness. I acknowledge that your son, Jesus, died in my place. And on this Easter Sunday, I accept that gift. Fill me with your spirit. Give me grace to follow Jesus. If you prayed that, I would encourage you, whoever you came to church with this morning, you tell them before you walk out of this door. Tell them. Say, I prayed that prayer. I made a decision. They'll know what to do. You just let them know. And they'll encourage you and love you, and it'll be great. Many of you have already prayed that. Do you need a lion this morning? Is there something wrecked, and you need it made right? Maybe it's physically, relationally. It could be your bank account, your job, your future. Do you need a deliverer? If, you, if that's you, if you want to just slip your hand up, it'll let us know to pray for you. We won't ask you to share. But if you need a lion this morning, is there anybody who does? If everybody, all right, this was, that wasn't fair. I was going to have everybody open their eyes and put their hand, but you didn't know that was going to happen. So from next, so now, if you need a lion, raise your hand, and everybody's going to have their eyes open, so they can put a hand on your shoulder. If you see a hand up, put a hand on their shoulder. You don't need to know what's going on in their life. Don't ask them. Just pray. Pray for God to pray for Jesus, this Savior King, to be the king in their life. He knows. Pray for him to rule and reign in their life. Pray for him to make himself known to them in a way that they would understand. Pray for him to love them, for him to express his love to them in deep and powerful ways. And pray for these circumstances, and you don't even need to know them. Just say, God, make them right. Line up these circumstances with your desires. Every place where these circumstances are bent and sideways, you straighten them out. Do it in a way that brings you the most glory. Do it in a way that blesses this person tremendously and deeply. Heal bodies, heal marriages, heal family relationships, work in businesses that are struggling, work in our city that in so many ways reflects the kingdom of darkness and not the kingdom of light. Holy Spirit, my prayer for every man and woman in the room. We would know this Savior King. We would know this lion who is a lamb, who is a lion, who is a lamb. I pray as we leave that there'll be a sense of the weight of that, not not guilt, but just the weight of knowing that we're on we're in that tribe. You've redeemed us. You've made us a kingdom and you've made us priests and priests intercede their go-betweens between heaven and earth and you've given us that privilege and opportunity and i pray we would be that in our city we'd be quick to pray we'd be quick to bridge people to you we would also recognize we're, we're, we're a kingdom you rule and reign through us you're the king but we're represented by those 24 elders who sit on thrones as well We're already seated with Jesus in heavenly places. So I pray for that reality to rest upon each of us this Easter. We would recognize this great sacrifice, Jesus, that you made for us out of love and this wonderful redemption that you brought. We're not just reconciled as sons and daughters. We're made priests in a kingdom. And God, I pray alongside that sense of weight would be a deep and profound joy. God, that more... uh, not based on our circumstances at all, just in our life, there'll be this undercurrent of joy that we're in the family of the lamb that we're in the family of the lion who ultimately wins. God, and that would stir us to worship as we go. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can stand. We're going to close with worship. In Revelation, that's how everybody responded to Jesus. They worship. The elders worshiped, the angels worshiped, and all of creation worships. And you're a part of that group. So we want to close with worship this morning.